0: Hello, and thanks for joining us for the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by Greg Stanford, the digital minister of the 10th and Broad Church. Let's get ready now for Greg's message. Goodness, it seems like the enemy has done everything he can to stop me from speaking, so I hope somebody that's hearing this needs this because uh, it's been a crazy week. Uh, But I am excited to be here. I don't get to do this very often. Like I said earlier, my name is Greg Stanford, and I'm the digital minister here. Uh, but for 25 years, I spent my time talking to kids, and now I spend my time talking to people online with a keyboard or a, a videotape. So standing in front of y'all, it's a little daunting. So we're going to start with prayer, and ask the Lord to, uh, uh, to be with me as we go forward. Would you pray with me? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, all that you are and all that you do. And Lord, I pray for... Uh, your words to be spoken uh, truthfully and wise this morning and that you would use me to, uh, to say what you need said. Or I pray for uh, the, the audience before us that you would uh, touch their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, like I said, I'm a children's minister, so I do things a little bit differently. Even though I've shifted positions, that's just where my brain is. So, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your favorite Bible character. Think of somebody in the Bible that's your favorite. You don't have a favorite. Just think of somebody that you know. Think about that story. I'm going to give you just a second to think about them. Okay, nod your head if you've got somebody in mind. All right. Okay, I'm looking for interaction. There we go. Thank you, Michael. All right. So, now I want you to think about what you know about their life story. Raise your hand if the person you're thinking about had an easy life with no major issues. Yeah, didn't think so. I couldn't think of anybody uh, that I thought about that had some uh, an easy life. When we go back and we look at the heroes of the faith, uh, we see that they came through some pretty difficult things. When we go back and we look at the heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews 11, we realize that all of those people struggled throughout their life. The only one I could look at that, that probably had a little bit easier was Enoch, and the only reason that was easier It's because God took him before he died. But I think even Enoch struggled through life with some major issues. And the reason I think that is because our faith grows with difficulties. For the last five weeks, we've talked about how God grows our faith, how he uses providential relationships, personal ministry, practical teaching, and private disciplines. And this morning, I get the honor of... Bringing the series to a a close, and we're going to look at the idea of pivotal circumstances. These are the unexpected, unplanned events that pop up in our lives. They can be positive events, like mission trips or the birth of a first child. But more often than not, it's a negative, out-of-blue thing that hits us. That when we come through the other side, our faith is stronger, deeper. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, put it this way God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I mean, think about it. How often do you hear of somebody's faith journey without hearing about something big or unexpected happening? And when you listen to them, you think, well, that wasn't a positive, that was a huge negative. But they say, you know, I couldn't have come through that like I did without God. God did something in the middle of that situation that I don't think he could have done any other way. I wouldn't wish that on anybody else, and I don't want to repeat it. But I don't think God could have done it the way he grew my faith any other way. That is a pivotal circumstance. A defining moment. At the time, God probably or may have felt a million miles away... But on the other side of that event, that circumstance, you realize how close God was. Somebody put it this way, at that point, you knew God knew your name. And think about that. God knows your name. When you pray, you know who you're talking to. James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm sure many of you sitting in here in the audience and online can think about situations and events in your life, either in the past or maybe happening right now, that would fit the definition of a pivotal circumstance. Let me warn you, don't downplay your circumstances by comparing it to other people. When I think back to my own defining moments and how God worked in my life, Sometimes I realize that compared to what other people, people go through, I mean, they're nothing. But those things were pivotal, pivotal times in my life, and that makes them powerful. When I think about how God led me to be here this morning standing on this stage, uh, it's a little unbelievable. Rachel, if you knew me growing up, some of you did. Did you ever think I'd be standing up here talking to people? in front? I was terrified about being in front of people. In fact, I actually remember shaking in front of classes at school, knowing that I'd have to stand and, and talk in front of 10 people that I knew pretty well. When I graduated high school, I had no clue what I wanted to do. You know what my ban- big goal was when I graduated high school and started college? Make a lot of money and retire young. I thought, <laughs> pretty worthy goal. But God had other plans. Um, and he led me through some incredible things along the way. I decided I'm gonna go into radiology, x rays. There's gotta be money in x rays. So I applied to get into the radiology program at MSU. Do you know that's a pretty competitive program to get into? Yeah. So I applied and I didn't get in. And I applied again and I didn't get in. I don't know how many times I applied, but I didn't get in. At some point along the way, I had been involved with the Student Center at MSU. And I ended up at Quartz Mountain Christian Camp with John Knox and Steve Kaiser for camp. Now, I like kids as a college student. Um, and so I thought this would be fun a good experience. And so it started on Sunday. And by Tuesday morning, I was trying to figure out if I could break my leg, they would send me home. <laughs> it was horrible. I thought, if I could just get out of here alive, I don't care what it's going to take. And this was back in the day when you had the little A-frame cabins, no air conditioning. I had like 10 to 12 boys, and I had a high school counselor who was more interested in the female counselors than working with the kids in our cabin. It was rough. Half of the kids in my cabin were from a children's home, and two of those boys did not like each other. And I'm saying that in the most nullified way possible. They could not be in the same room without going at each other, and they were in our cabin It was rough. By Tuesday, like I said, I was frazzled. That afternoon, I heard something happening in the cabin, and I ran into the cabin. The other counselor ran out of the cabin. (laughs) And one of those boys, he was having a breakdown. I've never met a kid at that point who was so down, who was so broken, who was so angry. He was literally walking around the center table in a rage, shouting and crying, snot coming out. I mean, it was just beyond anything I had ever done. And he shouted his anger and his frustration and the fact that he'd been abandoned not once but twice. And at that point, I realized I had nothing to offer this kid. I had no foundation to talk to him. I had no idea what to say. And I think, thinking back, that was the first time God spoke through my ramblings because there is nothing that I said that was helpful. But at some point, he calmed down, and we finished camp. Uh, The last night, he asked me to baptize him. And let me tell you something. My heart broke for hurting kids at that camp. And when I came home, everything changed. I changed my major. I started into social work. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to help hurt kids in children's homes. And I graduated with a job at a children's home. And you know what? It was a nightmare. (laughs) I don't know if it was it or me, but something didn't work. And so I resigned uh, in a short time and came home lost, not knowing what God had planned. Because everything that I thought he was going to do was not working out. I came back, and I started teaching the boys' class that I worked with for years, the Sons of Thunder. Uh, Some of those guys are still around. There you go. And at that point, Larry called me into his office, or I came and talked to him at one point, and he said, have you ever thought about children's ministry? And I said, I've never heard of children's ministry. And it just kind of went from there. It was not a smooth hire, but things got to where it was in 25 years uh, I, I stayed in that position, um, but how God got me there was amazing we 're going to look at some people in the Bible that had some pretty incredible situations uh, we 're going to spend some time this morning with one of my favorite guys in the Bible, Joseph. If you notice joseph Joseph is one of those guys whose story we get to see the bulk of his life uh, from really the beginning to the end and everything in between so I'm going to kind of pop through there because it's, uh, it's like 20 chapters. And so if you haven't read the story of Joseph, it's in Genesis 30 through 50. I would encourage you to, to read that this week. Okay. All right. So as we go through the story of Joseph, we're going to do something. Uh, let you be a little interactive so you're not sleeping on me. If I say something to you about a situation that Joseph went through, I'm going to ask you, was that a good thing or a bad thing? good thing I want you to give me a thumbs up. Everybody try that. Get that thumb working. There you go. If it was a bad thing, thumbs down. All right. You can do that. Freak out of your comfort zone a little bit. Be inter- interactive. So Joseph's story starts in Genesis 30 when he was born into a di- dysfunctional family. And when I say dysfunctional, I mean dysfunctional. Um, his dad had had four wives and they were at each other. It was a mess. It was a family filled with bitterness and jealousy and fighting. Joseph had ten older brothers that hated him. Uh, now, the thing is, Joseph was a little bit spoiled. I mean, it was well known to everybody that his dad loved him more than the rest of them. And that was displayed in the, clothing, the clothes that he wore in his multicolored coat you've probably heard of. His brothers hated him. And it was so bad that at one point, they decided... We're just gonna kill this kid. Luckily, his older brother had a little bit more common sense. But but in the process, they sold their brother uh, as a slave. Genesis 37, 27 starts out the story. It says, Come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah. <laughs> Slavery. Whoop. So Joseph was carried to the land of Egypt, where he was sold as a slave to a man named Potiphar. A slave. Could it get much worse than that? But, Genesis 39, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted him to the care of everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. All right, Joseph. Good? Bad? Good. Yeah, things are looking up. (sighs) Doesn't stay up, though. Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph. Nothing good could come of that. He would have nothing to do with her, so she lied to Potiphar about him. Potiphar was in a rage and had Joseph thrown into prison. Good? Yeah. Slavery, prison, not a good thing. But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done. The warden paid no attention to him, or made, paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Good? Bad? Yeah, good. He's kind of got this up and down thing going on. While Joseph was in prison, two of the king's servants, a baker and a cupbearer, the is like a food taster. They ended up in the same jail that uh, Joseph was in. They both were having strange dreams, and the Lord allowed Joseph to tell them what their dreams meant. The baker, well, he was going to be executed. But the cupbearer, he was going to return back to work. And so sure enough, those dreams came true. The baker, he was executed. And the cupbearer, he returned to the palace. But Joseph... Before he left, he said, You gotta let the you gotta let the Pharaoh know. I mean, I was kidnapped, I was taken forcefully from my home, I am innocent, I don't need to be in prison. You just gotta let the Pharaoh know to get me out of here. Well, the cupbearer forgot about him. For two years he forgot about him. But two years later the Pharaoh had his own dreams, and nobody could tell him what they meant. And the cupbearer finally remembered. Oh, wait a minute. I know somebody. Genesis 41 picks up. The chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servant, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. He had told us, our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of the dream, and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. so Pharaoh sent joseph sent for Joseph, joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeons. Goodbye looking up all right genesis forty one it says then joseph or the Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made Actually, I skipped something. When he got there, he told the Pharaoh, there's going to be a famine. That's what your dream meant. Seven years of good and plenty, followed by seven years of nothing. No food, no crops. And what they needed to do was store up food during the good years to have food available during the bad years. And as a result, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace. And all the people are to submit to your orders. Only res- with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. From a boy to a slave to a prisoner, now he's running a country. Good? Yeah. I can get better than that. But, you know, there's so much to the story of Joseph that we're, we're going to miss Um, But after the seven years of plenty, there did come seven years of famine. uh, And people came from all over uh, to buy food from Egypt. One day Joseph looked out, and guess who he saw? Why, there were his brothers. Now the thing is, he recognized them, but they did not recognize him. And so for a while he messed with them. Uh, He had a little bit of fun with them. But in the process, he he was looking at his brothers. Because really... He had 12 years of up and downs that he could have laid at their feet. 12 years of slavery and prison. Um, Because if you'll remember, he was about 17 when he got kidnapped. And he was 30 when he became part of the Pharaoh's court, when he went into his position. That's 12 years, maybe 20 years actually. That was a long time that he had to deal with all this stuff. So when Joseph uh, revealed himself to his brothers, they were obviously terrified, because now this guy is running a country, uh, providing food that they need food. But Genesis 45 sums it all up. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me, "...because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five there will be no plowing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to, pre- to preserve for you a remnant on earth, to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt." Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down, don't delay. I've always wondered, when did Joseph figure it out? When, When did he know? Was it during the testing of his brothers? Was it at that moment as he was standing there? Was it when Pharaoh had made him chief over everything? When did it all come together for him? Because up until that time, while he was in prison, he was still struggling. I mean, you remember, he told the cupbearer, I'm not supposed to be here, I'm innocent, I need to get out of here. 20 years of ups and downs, and then at some point, it all made sense. He walked away knowing God was active in his life. God had leveraged the situation in Joseph's life to prepare him for what was to come. You know, throughout the Bible, we see God using these pivotal circumstances in the lives of people, deepening their faith and their relationships with him. We see this too with Jesus' ministry. And when we look at the account of Lazarus in John 11, we see not only did Jesus leverage one of these bad situations, he was uh, instrumental in it happening. Um, Because there was a man named Lazarus who was a good friend of his. He was sick. He was way over in Bethany, and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they let Jesus know by message That Lazarus was sick and he needed to come to him. In fact, they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days. What did Jesus do? He waited. He waited. Jesus who could heal somebody with a touch, Mary and Martha knew that, but he waited. Jesus who could heal strangers long distantly with just a word, and he waited. Why did he wait? John 11:14 gives us the answer. So then he told them plainly, this being the disciples, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So when Jesus arrived in Bethany, Martha was already waiting for Jesus outside of town. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Martha went and she got her sister. And Martha, our Mary, came and she said the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's interesting. Jesus knew what he was going to do. But 33... Of John John 11 says when he saw her weeping and the Jews had come along also weeping he was deeply moved and troubled Where have you laid him? He asked Come and see lord And that famous verse Jesus wept And then the Jews said see how he loved him See, jesus is not callous to our troubles Just as he was not emotionless to mary and martha in the death of his friend the suffering of those around him, even knowing what he was going to do, when he got to the tomb, he was still deeply moved. Then Jesus called for the tomb to to move the stone away, and Martha's response was, Lord, there's going to be a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. Actually, the King James is my favorite translation, because it says, Lord, by this time, he stinketh. (laughs) He stinketh four days. So even though they had faith in Jesus' ability, they still struggled. Then Jesus said this, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said, Take off the grave clothes, let him go. And therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. The single difficult event impacted the faith of how many people? Disciples, Mary Martha, the Jews that were with them, obviously Lazarus. But also, this event demonstrates for us that Jesus is not unfamiliar with our suffering and our difficulties. The raising of Lazarus put his coming death on the cross into motion. The anxiety of the coming cross and then the physical pain of the cross. Jesus understands our difficult situations. We don't worship a God that is immune to our sufferings. So if you're hurting, God knows exactly how you're feeling. I wish I could say at the conclusion of every difficult situation that I find myself in or you find yourselves in that we can be like a Joseph and know exactly what God was doing. Sometimes it takes years to see what God was doing. Joseph struggled for 20 years. Some of us are still looking to see what God is doing in our difficult situations. What I want to say to you is don't give up. Don't give up. God is with you. In preparing today's message, I actually messaged several people on Facebook just to see the kind of situations that they have gone through and how their faith been, had been impacted. And there are were, there were a, a lot of people that I know that have gone through some difficult situations. And God has used those situations to strengthen their faith. From cancer, illness, surgery, death, uncertainty, disappointment, Betrayal, infertility, and childlessness. In all of these situations, they came through with their faith stronger. It wasn't easy. Most all of them looked back at godly people in their lives that supported them throughout the whole thing. I've realized in looking at this, the difference in how we respond to these kind of situations is the community that we surround ourselves with are providential relationships. In every one of the situations I heard about, it was friends and family, and most especially church family, that saw them through it. I think it's these relationships that help us frame these circumstances in a way for us to see God as not doing, doing something to us, but is doing something in us or through us. A friend just last like week helped point out to me how God had used my childlessness as a single to have opportunities to help other children, Um, and I wouldn't have had those opportunities otherwise. It doesn't make the hurt easier, but it does help give meaning to circumstances, and my prayer is for you that God brings you through these difficult situations, and you can see his blessings in your life. I honestly don't know how people make it through these kind of events without a church family. So I would implore you, if you don't have a church family, find one. We would love to have you be with us, but there are churches no matter where you are. um, Find a church. You need a church family. We live in a time where loneliness is epidemic. Don't get caught doing life by yourself. Let me pray for you, and then I'll be done. Most Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you uh, that you are always with us. In good times and bad times, but we realize that a lot of times those bad times are when uh, we end up closer to you. And Lord, we we thank you for bringing us through those events. Uh, And I pray, Lord, that uh, any of us that are are struggling with those events right now, Lord, that you would make yourself known. uh, That you would put people around them. That you would use your church to minister to uh, and draw them closer to you. But I thank you for opportunities. I thank you for the uh, examples that we see in Scripture and for the examples that I see around me every day. I thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.